You're with the Afternoon Cruise, and I'm talking with saxophonist and composer James Brandon Lewis. His most recent release is Eye of Eye, which is out on Anti Records. We've been playing the tune Within You Are Answers here on Jazz 88. We're talking today primarily about Ornette Coleman, as Coleman was born on March 9th, 1930. But before we get to that, congratulations on the new record, James. How is everything going for you? Everything is going pretty good. Everything's going pretty good. No, no, no complaints. You know, no complaints. Just trying to always create music that represents the most authentic version of who I am as an artist. Well, that's that that certainly is a time consuming effort, but you've been doing a great job putting out a lot of releases and and we love the music. You've been on the road as well. How has that been going? It's been going great. You know, I've been uh, touring, you know, co-headlining with um, Aesthetics, a group out of D.C. that includes uh, Anthony Pirog on guitar and then um, the rhythm section from uh, Fugazi. Uh, we have Brendan Canty on the drums and Joe Lally on the bass. So it's been it's been going great. We got some stuff coming up. Uh, we hit the East Coast. Um, many many dates. You know, check out jblewis.com for because I don't I don't want to miss a date. <laughs> so, I understand. Yeah. Uh, now the tune that we connected with here at Jazz eighty eight in Minneapolis is your song "Within You Are Answers." So before we talk about Ornette Coleman, can you tell us a little bit about writing that tune and performing it as well? Yeah, I think um, basically for this particular album, a lot of the tunes started off with titles and just different things I was thinking about at the time. You know, uh, of perspective. You know, um, a lot of times. You know, when you're just living life and you're going about things, everything is always outside of yourself. Um, oh, you should check this out or you should check this out. And then eventually get to a point where you want to start to begin to tell your own stories. And your stories related to your inner your inner perspective. And um, and so, you know, basically uh, when I'm composing, I try to to paint paint a story, but more so uh, a mood, you know, or a drama, you know, uh, in that sense. And so in the trio context, I mean, that's always, it's always a challenge. The lesser instruments you have, the more you have to think about compositionally what might happen, you know, trios, duos, in the context of presenting the, the melody. You know, you have myself and the cello in the beginning. And then as the song progress, progresses, the drums become become more uh, energetic. And so, yeah, I mean, that was basically the, you know, I started with the title and then what what story am I trying to tell? And then um, this this sense of searching, you know, by the time we get to, you're like, wow, okay. Okay, it's kind of like an anthem almost. Things have escalated. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, wow, I wasn't expecting it to turn that way. So, so I, I definitely like, like that the context of writing music that kind of is not always shifting but kind of building you know it's like an essay almost you know you have a climax you know and uh, a beginning middle and end you know so yeah um, that's basically the gist of of that hope I answered your question <laughs> oh, all that and more so thank you very much <laughs> 
Now, yeah. we love the tune within your answers, and I was certainly not searching within myself when I found your music. I was on Twitter, a place where people go to search for arguments and information. Uh, but yes. I happened upon a link to an article that was making the rounds that you wrote about your experience of listening to Ornette Coleman and connecting with some of his collaborators. I was on the air at the time. I read that article, and I was like, I got to play Lonely Woman right away. You just got me re-excited <laughs> about the music. And then I said, all right, I got to go go find this man's music, which thankfully was actually in my inbox. I just hadn't uh, found it yet. But you reintroduced me. I've been a fan of Ornette Coleman, but reading that had me rethinking his music, including the line, and I think the first paragraph of your uh, piece, saying that Ornette's music brought us back to ourselves, organic ways of being taught before understandings. And this just, it it, it gave me language that I've felt right. about the man's music. And so right. uh, first, I, I thank you for that. And then I also sort of wanted to go back. It, it seems like maybe at a time when you were in a more academic setting, pursuing music at Howard, right. Right. Ornette Coleman's music gave you this invitation to be authentic and to be your authentic self. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when you're with your, when you're within, and this is not to a rag on the educational system, but I think that when you're within that setting, there the goal is to, you know, the test. You know, uh, you have to do this. You have to take this history course. You have to do this, that. And I think at the time when I was, you know, just when I was searching and you know, I was listening to everything, anything that was of interest, I was, I was checking out. And by the time I checked out Ornette, I said, wow, man, this this is sounds um, it was a vibration that I could agree with, you know, that I that I felt closest to and natural. And not necessarily someone um who's readily talked about, um, at least at that time. Um by the time I got to CalArts, I mean Charlie Hayden was there and I was in full swing uh Ornette Ornette style. But but for me I said, wow, you know, I, I didn't and maybe it was my own naivety or not having kind of like this encyclopedic knowledge of the progression of music, but I thought it sounded the most natural that I had uh, had experienced at the time being a young person in my teens. I was just super excited, got energized and uh, began to check out his music. And uh, I've been, I've been within that vein ever since. You know, of of like, wow, man, this sounds natural. Sounds sounds like he's talking, and you know, I don't get a sense of. I mean, you know, there's form there, but I don't get a sense that it's the rigidity of. You know, it's like the closest thing to the human experience. Right. You know. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I think that's that that was the vibe for me at the time, and it still resonates today. You know, that sense of. Uh, an open canvas. And, and that's know. that's what I love about some of your descriptions of Ornette Coleman. And something I love about the reality of Ornette Coleman is, is how open that canvas is in the sense that I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, might think of more forward thinking or avant-garde jazz as being all loud all the time or being all sort of turtleneck and, and and put your glasses on and, and and drink a very expensive cup of coffee. And I hear something so human and so organic 
and it's still very, very technically arduous, but but aiming for a humanity that I don't always hear in jazz music. That's one of the things that I think is often misunderstood about Ornette Coleman, that it's it's thought, oh, you put one of these records on, it's going to, you know, just absolutely ruin the vibe because it's going to be 65 minutes of screeching saxophone, which it's not. What are some other things you think are misunderstood? Because you're right. I don't think Ornette Coleman is something people don't put their arms around a 17 year old saxophonist and go, you got to check out Ornette Coleman, maybe now more. But I didn't I didn't experience that when I was coming up. And it sounds like right. maybe- you didn't as well what do you what else do you think is misunderstood about the man's legacy in his music it's kind of odd in one sense for him after all this time you know he's composed symphonies he's vocal works he's composed you know just prolific composer you know all different ensemble sizes i think if more people decided to start viewing music retrospectively you know the entirety of someone's work you know i.e like when you go to the whitney biannual or if you go to any of these things where where someone or the moma and and it's a retrospective you know you see a person's body of work and so i think that you're not going to get the full gist of ornette just listening to one tune you know i think that um and having played with um you know, got to work with Charlie Hayden, you know, while I was a student at CalArts in grad school. And then after that, working with Jamaluddin Takuma, who also worked with Ornette from when I recorded my album, Days of Freeman. You know, and I've worked with other people in New York City who've worked and played with Ornette. And uh, shout out to them. I can't, I'm not, you know, uh, remembering all the names, but I uh, got to play with Bern Nix and you know, just a, a lot of different people who've worked with Ornette. And so I'm not really sure. I think it's, it still baffles me what, <laughs> what people think about, you know, why they think his music is so this or that. I mean, I hear someone who is a melodic melodic genius, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, for me, it's I get excited when I listen to Ornette. I don't know those moments when I, maybe... I might have heard whisperings of of this, and I never understood those whisperings. I always be like, "Wow, okay, is that what is that what you're hearing?" <laughs> I don't, I don't hear that. You know, I hear, I hear amazing. Um, just an amazing artist uh, conceptually, and so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think uh, at this point in 2023, he's the most uh, probably more understood now than ever before. But yeah. um, yeah, that's uh, that's the vibe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll I'll make sure I'll make sure to tell more young people about Ornette as I interact with them. I got you. Uh, yeah, let other people worry about it. You you found the energy in his music, and I, you're right. I think more people have probably found it by now than ever before. You're tuning to Jazz eighty eight. I'm chatting with James Brandon Lewis. His most recent release is Eye of Eye, and he wrote an article recently about Ornette Coleman, and we're talking on the occasion of Ornette Coleman's birth date. Yes, uh, indeed. indeed. <laughs> shout, shout out to the great Ornette Coleman. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, one thing, James, that I'm really touched about your music is it would be a real disservice to Ornette Coleman for your love of his music to turn into you mimicking his style. And you don't. Exactly. You exactly. So much yourself. Yeah. 
How do you bring your love and study of Ornette Coleman into your own music without kind of carbon copying? Well, I think it's it's um, it's just really like when you're listening to the greats and people you admire, what you try to do is not, I do a lot of mapping, emotional mapping, not necessarily transcribing note for note. But I, if I try to, I'll sit with a tune or sit with an ornate tune and I'll say, wow, okay, how is this making me feel now? Now, can I make a tune, not copy the tune, but can I create the same emotional content with my own writing that this, that maybe this ornate piece did for me? And sometimes I come close and sometimes maybe it's not even, it's not even in the ballpark. <laughs> but I think, but I think that that's, um, I, what I do often is sometimes I'll, I'll play my my own composition and then I'll listen to one of the greats. I'll listen to Ornette and and I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm getting close emotionally. I'm getting close. Um, I have no interest in in in, in copying. Um, number one, I don't. I think to copy Ornette, and I don't know anybody who can because he's. His language was so him, um, you know. It's not, it's not so uh, linear, you know. Kind of jumps around, you know. Um, and so, that's the best way. The, the best way to, to pay respect is to honor someone in in the way that gives the the proper like to who you are as a person. That's all you can do. It's like. I'm going to be my most authentic self. And then I think that's the greatest respect that I can pay to any of the greats is, you know, constantly feeling back the layers of my own being, you know, I mean, the legacy precedes them, you know, I, it's really, really fascinating. Um, I, I, plus I don't, I don't know if I have the personality uh, anymore to um, sit and, and transcribe verbatim what someone else is doing. I try to just sit with the music and let the music just wash over my soul and my mind and, and just imagine like, okay, what is, what is my own equivalent of that? How would that, what would that sound like? What would that be? And so that's, that's what I try to do. Well, you know, and in, in our humble opinion, we think you do a pretty darn good James Brandon Lewis. Thank you for spending a little time talking about your music and also today talking about Ornette Coleman's legacy on occasion of his birth date. Yes. Two, the last questions. Thank you so much for having me. I, I hope I'm answer, I hope I'm answering these questions. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, you, you are doing, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's maybe as hard to do, if not harder to do, especially for musicians in an interview compared to right. on the bandstand, you are bringing right. yourself and you're telling me and you're telling right. our listeners about you and how you relate to the man's music. And that's exactly what I want to do today. So I, you are, cool. you are, you understood the assignment and you are over delivering. Cool. <laughs> uh, are you coming to Minneapolis? And if you if you don't have anything scheduled, how can people keep track of you in case you do find a date coming up in the Twin Cities? Yeah, I don't I don't have anything coming up, but hopefully that's in the works. I definitely think it's in the works, and I would love to, to come to Minneapolis. Uh, they can keep up to date with me on my website jblewis.com or Instagram James Ryan Lewis or Twitter. You know, I'm readily. I'm, I'm easy to find. And so, uh, but, but yeah, 
Another thing that I want to say about Ornette before we go is, Absolutely. you know, I I dedicated an album, um, Unruly Manifesto, some years ago to Ornette, to Ornette, Charlie Hayden, and Surrealism. And I had this, uh, actually this Robin D.G. Kelly, the author who wrote, not only wrote the liner notes for Joseph Wagon, one of my previous albums, but wrote the most authoritative book on Thelonious Monk. Well, he also had a book called that he edited called Black, Brown, and Beige. And it was basically a surrealist anthology covering not just Andre Breton, but the whole uh, African diaspora. And inside that book, there were writings from Cecil Taylor, writings from Ornette, uh, writings from Jane Cortez and Ted Jones. And so I went through the process and I was thinking about uh, specifically 1959. You know, I remember Charlie Hayden telling us about when they made that appearance at the five spot, him and Ornette. And, you know, I was thinking about the fact that that was like a sonic manifesto, you know, the idea that, hey, this is where, this is where we're coming from, like it or not. And I always think that that takes a lot of courage you know, to be yourself. And that doesn't mean innovative. That doesn't mean I'm coming up with something new. It just simply means that I'm giving the music the vulnerability of who I am, the vulnerability of the moment, you know? And that's what I love about Ornette is that he's, it, there's nothing about him. He's not a poser. Yeah. You know, he's being authentically him. And given the time period in which he started to play and all the alpha players that were around, I mean, come on, that takes a lot of guts. And for them to premiere this music at 1959, the five spot. And I remember Charlie Hayden telling us in class, every bass player he admired was like sitting at the bar. <laughs> and, I, and that was a beautiful experience too. And just hearing all the stories about uh, when Charlie Hayden met Ornette and how there was sheet music everywhere, you know? And of course the, the fan and the player that I am but more so like the 19-year-old version of my 19-year-old version of myself, even though I was in grad school and in my 20s. As I reflect now, I say, wow, man, that's that seems pretty dreamlike. You know, it's like you go in this room and Ornette's music is everywhere. <laughs> it's like myth, myth building type stuff. And so uh, so, anyways, I thought if I thought I'd share that that uh, that that's a really great book if people want to check that out. Black, brown, and beige. It's a surrealist. Uh, anthology and Ornette's um, some of Ornette's writings is in that and other people other uh, proponents of, the, of this music um, and it's all a continuum really I mean come on at this point in life where it's 2023 it's all a continuum you know Ornette Coleman is just as important to this music as any other great artist that we may think about and just think about this too this is something I reflect on John Coltrane and Sonny Rollins all had were influenced by Ornette. You know, they're working with Don Cherry, they're recording some of the tunes, you know, and I think this is fascinating. This is a fascinating thing. You have the respect of John Coltrane and Sonny Rollins. I think you're on the path, you're on your own path, but you're on a pretty in pretty good company. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> James Brandon Lewis, thank you. Thank you for that. Addition. I would have not known how to conjure that question out of what I had yes. for you. Thank you for yes. giving it to us and to, for giving it to Jazz 88. We appreciate it. For you. sure. For sure. Appreciate you.